Good morning. That is a beautiful suit, my man. That is amazing, JJ. Always looking sharp. <laughs> Always shy, never wanting the spotlight. <laughs> Happy Resurrection Day. So great to see you all. It's amazing to be here. It's like the Lord couldn't have planned his resurrection any better for us Mainers. Right around the time that things are about to bloom and the sun is coming out, we're feeling, well, in a day or two, we'll feel some warmth again and stuff. All of it just comes to life around this time. Really appreciated our time around the communion table uh, this morning because communion or our communion with God, I believe, is our greatest cry. It's our deepest longing. It's our, our deepest urge is to know and be known by God. I'm not sure that everybody really thinks that. I mean, I'm quite certain they don't. I, I don't think that most people walk around going, I wish God knew me. Some of us shudder at the fact, right? Because if he knows me and if he's God, that means he knows, he really knows me. He knows about me. He knows who I am, who I've been, what I'm, what I've done, what I want to do, all those kinds of things. And, and so I didn't say it's our greatest wish necessarily that he would know us, but it is our greatest need. And so when we have communion around the table, we are, we're demonstrating a relationship that was given to us by God's grace alone, a relationship that we had done nothing to earn. We had done nothing to, to uh, invest in, but Jesus paid all the investment so that he could commune with his creation, his would-be children. And that's why we come around that table to enjoy the fellowship that we as sinful people now covered in the precious blood of Jesus Christ have direct access to his holiness. And we can actually sit in his presence, not condemned, not judged, accepted and loved. Last week, we started a, a passage of scripture in the early part of the book of John. That's the gospel of John in the New Testament. You have, as you kind of find about two-thirds of the way in, there's a division there in your Bible, and you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We made our way into chapter 4 of John, and I thought maybe we'd stay there. You might be expecting a, a sermon that's about Jesus rising from the dead and the tomb and the, the stone rolling away and all of those things, and no doubt we will uh, definitely connect the dots this morning, but this is not, per se, a resurrection message. Because I believe that the, the, the central figure, other than Jesus, of our text is walking through life as you and I walk through life. And so all that Jesus came for is now going to be on display for a woman that I think all of us can relate to, even if we don't see it at first. Last week, as we got into the text, we saw that Jesus was wearied. His, his human legs, you think about that. We, I encourage you to camp on that for a second. Jesus had, the creator of all things, Jesus had man legs. He had man feet. He had man uh, tongue. And so all of those things were weary. He was parched because they had walked a great journey. Their, their ministry, he and his disciples, his, his closest students, if you will, that are now living life with him, they're on this journey in the hot sun and now they need a break. Jesus, the creator of all things that we know and even don't know, needed a break. And so he took one. 
He sent his disciples into town, go get some groceries. Apparently he was hungry too, and he just needed a break. But that break wouldn't last long, and the text kind of indicates to us that Jesus knew this interruption was coming because he said, I have to go through this way. I have to go through this town called Samaria. It's not really true. He didn't really have to go there. There were other routes around, and the most faithful Jew would often go around Samaria because they weren't big fans of those people. And they're afraid they'd get some of that Samaritan stuff on them. And so they said, we're going all the way around this place. Jesus says, I've got to go through there. And we come to understand why as he encounters this woman who's come in the middle of the day to draw water. It's an unusual time for the women of that time to come and draw water. That's she's, she's avoiding something. She's coming at the hottest part of the day. She's got to carry a heavy load of water, no doubt, on her head on the way back. And she's chosen the heat of the day to do that. So Jesus sitting at this well, taking a break, probably kicking his sandals off, thinking I'm just going to lay back and, and sort of enjoy the sun and take the break and catch my breath. He's, he knows that his rest is going to be interrupted by the need of the moment. And what we saw last week is that Jesus crossed barriers in order to target the heart of a woman who desperately needed Jesus' intervention. Now, I just want to make this point before we get back into our text and help us to understand that even though Jesus seems to be going for the obvious shock factor here, he's he's doing this on display for a reason. He knew, because he's the son of God, that we'd still be studying this text 2,000 years later. He knew that there'd be others around that are seeing this interaction. He He can soak all of that in. But this shock factor demonstration was not at the expense of one individual's need. This isn't just for show. Jesus is capable of walking and chewing gum at the same time. We saw that he crossed a trifecta of barriers. There was a racial barrier that he maneuvered over. Because she was a Samaritan, and as we said, the Jews weren't big fans. The Samaritans had, had interloped, if you will, back in the time of their captivity. They were, they were devout Jews, they were captured, and uh, God warned his people, don't intermarry with the Gentiles. They did anyway. And as they were able to return back to their homeland after they were freed from captivity, they were a mix of Jew and Gentile. And so the pure Jews, who even later on went through their own captivity and, and remained pure... They didn't falter like their would-be Samaritan counterparts. Those Jews started looking down on the Samaritans and saying, we did the right thing and you didn't. We are the pure ones. They started taking up what they thought to be God's cause on their behalf, which allowed them to look down on the racial divide between them and the Samaritans. Jesus crosses that barrier, but he also crosses a cultural barrier because as we said before, it wasn't prudent for, especially the devout, the rabbi, as many were referring to Jesus, the master or the teacher. You don't talk to a woman in public. She's not worthy of your time or attention. And you're certainly not going to waste your breath trying to teach her. We save that for the men. This is what's going on. Jesus says, I'm going to have a conversation with this woman. He breaks that cultural barrier. And what we're going to see just in part today, and we're going to build on this in the coming weeks ahead, 
we're going to see that he crosses a social barrier speaking to this woman in particular. Jumping ahead outside of the kind of the thrust of our text this morning, I want us to look at verses 16 through 18. After having a discussion that we'll break down and we'll look at together this morning, Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. You got that right. You said that the right way. You don't have a husband for you've had five. Now, this is not 2021 that Jesus is saying this in. But in 2021, we'd be like, you know, that's a lot of marriages. Maybe at some point you kind of go, that's not really for me. It's not working out so well. Imagine back in Jesus' day, you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. So yeah, you nailed it, woman. You don't have a husband right now. You've had many. And the one you have now is in an exchange relationship with you. You see, she's had a miserable track record of hurt and abandonment and, dare I say, dissatisfaction seems to be pretty obvious. The reason she's coming at noon, no doubt, is because she wasn't the most popular figure even amongst her own people. Maybe there was some jealousy early on. She might have looked a certain way. That's why guy after guy after guy was like, well, I know she's been, she's been had before, but you know, I'm going to give it a shot. I bet I can make an honest woman out of her. And we know how that always goes with the other women in town. And then eventually she can't seem to stay settled down or keep a man happy or all the things that people say about other people that go through these kinds of things. She's not walking around with a real great reputation, even with her own people. So why don't I come in the middle of the day when it isn't popular for the other ladies who have been saying the worst things and the cruelest things and pointing out all the obvious things to me, I can avoid them even though it's hot, even though it's not the ideal time to go and do this. Jesus knew that's the time that she would be there. So while Jesus is expressing being physically parched, he knows that she is spiritually parched. She is in a drought of her own. Here's what I want us to think about this morning, especially as we look at the example that this woman gives us, is that our deepest thirsts will always express themselves physically. You and I cannot keep a really good lid on the things that our hearts crave. It's not always a one-to-one correlation as exactly what we want comes out in a pursuit of getting that exact thing. It may show up in other ways, but it will always express itself physically. And most of the time we express that physically, it's for some form of a cheap substitute of the real thing. The first thing I'd like us to think about as we look at our text, as we get ready to get started in verse 10 is that we don't need to settle for stagnant pools. If you picture a stagnant body of water or a pond or something like that, how does that typically look to you? Does it look refreshing or does it look a little overgrown with algae and those kinds of things? It's difficult to maintain life in a stagnant pool or a pond. Things have to be moving in and out of it to generate life. So Jesus says to her in verse 10, after he's already asked her for a drink, He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you water. He would have given you living water. 
If you knew the gift of God, you see, he's pointing out there's, there's something taking place right before your eyes that you can't recognize. You don't know the conversation you've engaged in. Dear lady, it's an unrecognized gift. It's, it's laying at her feet because the creator of all things, the one who's able to provide her with water in which she'll never thirst again, is simply asking her, can I get a sip from your ladle there as you're pouring your well water into the jug? He said, if you knew the gift of God. But you see, there's no way this woman's expecting a gift from anybody. You, you think about the, the time that it's taken to have five relationships, each one with a new set of hopeful expectations, only to be crushed and dashed because somebody failed, either her or I'm always attracted to these guys. I don't know what it is that's wrong with me that always brings these guys around, but some failure happens and she's, she's thinking each and every time this is going to be the one that works. This is going to be the one that quenches the thirst. If I just had this... And it lets her down over and over and over again. There's no way she's expecting a gift of, from anybody because she's had a life of exchanges. By, by the time one or two come along, the rest are thinking, okay, well, she probably needs me. So I bet because she needs me, I can get this from her. And she's thinking, because I need him, I bet he's expecting to get this from me. So yeah, all right. She's, she's caught in a life of bartering and, and arrangements contracts, if you will, a gift, someone doing something for me just because they care about me because they think I'm sweet or because they love me. She's probably given up on romance or being swept off her feet or any of those things a long time ago. Jesus is saying, if you knew who was talking to you, I have a gift for you, really something to give you that you can't earn, but she doesn't recognize this. He says, I'd give you living water, which is a, a, an expression that has meaning to us because we see now that what he was talking about was the presence of the Holy Spirit as he moves inside of God's children. It's, 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 we're going to see from the text like a well gushing up within us. We have the joy that comes from the Lord, but she doesn't know what he's talking about. She's thinking the expression of living water had more to do with a flowing stream or water on the move. It wasn't a weird expression for her. It just meant something physical. This is an expression. God's often referring to the, the running water or the availability of water for our lives. Isaiah 55 says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Many of you might know Psalm 42 that says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This isn't something she can recognize because she's trapped in a world that she can see, that she can feel, she can touch. Every one of her experiences kind of add up to, yeah, that's what about what I expected to happen. Guy number four doesn't work out. And she's like, well, you know, it's been the track record. She's stuck like Nicodemus was from weeks previous in a, in a physical world. She can't understand that what Jesus is talking about is a gift that comes from a world outside of everything that she recognizes. Everything that she can feel for the good or bad. So what Jesus says, or what the woman says here in verse 11, she said, sir, you've got nothing to draw water with. 
and the well is deep. Where, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus, you're, you're saying to me that you've got something to provide for me, but you're the one asking me for a drink. You don't have anything to draw from. So you've already failed on that point. And then secondly, Jacob was a great uh, forefather of ours. And she's kind of throwing it out there like we belong to Israel too, you know. And even they dug deep down. It's over a hundred feet deep, this well. And, 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 and they got water, but it isn't even the kind that you're talking about. It's not streaming in. It's not one of those springs that people would go to continually to just stick their jug under. Do you think you're better than Jacob was? She's trapped in a physical understanding of what Jesus is offering. You know what? She's heard every line from every guy. How does she know that Jesus isn't just some other opportunist coming to that well and saying, well, you know, I've got an ability to give you water that you'll never be thirsty again. And she's thinking, here we go. Here's another one. But there's got to be something about Jesus' words, Jesus' tone, because a woman can recognize purity in a man's eyes when she sees it. And heartache points to something that she doesn't even recognize she needs. All actions of her adult life have been crying out for security. All of the actions of, of her troubled past have been an attempt to gain acceptance. And now she's carrying all this baggage and all this burden. And, and somebody that can look at her like this and might even be able to offer her something might feel like forgiveness. But what Jesus is offering is a, a flowing water from above. He says, I can give the gift of the Holy Spirit to all those who will call on my name. Here's what you and I need to think about at this juncture. Our physical thirst, name yours, put, fill in the blank. Jesus is expressing, I have a physical thirst for real water. He's seeing spiritually this woman is in a drought and she's, she's thirsting for so many things and she's done everything she can to fill that void. What is your thing? What is my thing? What is the thirst of my soul? Those thirsts will only ever be quenched by the water that comes from the Holy Spirit. You and I don't need to settle for stagnant pools that just allow that, that bad growth to come and make the water undrinkable, though that's often what we do. We settle way too often for a temporary satisfaction only to have to return the next day again with the pot, again lowering the rope down, again drawing it back up. And Jesus is going to say something new to her. But first, a warning. Verse 13, he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Ever found yourself kind of in that point where you kind of go, how do I keep getting myself in this trap? How did I not see that this would be the end of this pursuit? How is it that I couldn't see that the road that I was on was a dead end when it's so familiar to me? I've been down this road so many times before. We go down these roads of, of an endless cycle of dissatisfaction. We, we give ourselves over to false intimacies. We develop addictions in our lives. We go through continual fights and arguments with other people because we're not getting the things that we think would satisfy our soul. Or we give ourselves over to achievements and earnings. 
only to find that everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Put that over every pursuit that comes next, even the good ones. We're not talking about just the pursuit of evil things. That everyone would be like, oh, I don't think I'd have done that if I were you. Even the things that we, that we long for, even the things that scripture says are good, you know, the, the relationships that are next for us or the, the, the benefit that comes from working hard and all these kinds of things that even the Lord is positive about. Put this statement over all of those things. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Just chalk it up. Bring it to the bank, however the expression would be. This thing that I want, this thing that I'm saying, if I only had this, if this would only come to me, I would finally be satisfied. Just tell yourself, that's a lie. Because Jesus says everyone who drinks of this water, he's pointing to something physical, but this is the world that we live in. Give ourselves over to these physical pursuits. You know what? You're going to be thirsty again. She was stuck in an if-only syndrome. If only the next guy would speak to me this way. If only the next guy had this kind of income. If only I found a guy with this much prestige or, or importance in town, maybe those other women will get off my back. If only, if only, if only. Apart from Jesus, the wisest man to walk the earth is Solomon, and this is what he says. He says, he who loves money, and this is just a, an indication because money is sort of the most obvious physical pursuit sometimes that we pursue. But he who loves money, now insert your own earthly pursuit, my own earthly pursuit here, will not be satisfied with it, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. I'm sure you've heard the warnings that if you ever find yourself lost at sea, which don't do that, it sounds really hopeless. I don't know why anybody would do that. If you find yourself lost at sea, no matter how thirsty you get, don't drink the salt water. And that sounds like good sense. We know the science behind it. We know the end result. But when you're thirsty enough, and things start going squirrely with your brain and you start doubting all the advice or the guidance that you've been given and you're going, I'm just surrounded by water. They have to be wrong or, or I can't stand being without it any longer. And so we engage only to have a worse consequence waiting for us on the other side. But what Jesus is offering her, even though she's had these unrecognized dead ends, she doesn't see them coming before they happen, is he's offering her an unending satisfaction. Verse 14, there's a hopeful word that we love in Scripture. B-U-T. That first uh, warning in verse 13 is this message of condemnation. You're going to go down this road. You always go down this dead end. You're a person. You're a human being. You're not God. You haven't found ultimate satisfaction in me. You will chase these physical earthly pursuits and they will let you down. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling, gushing, thrusting upward to eternal life. Now, if you're like me, you're stuck on this phrase, we'll never be thirsty again, because I'm a people 
And I'm somebody who says, I, I have the hope of Jesus living in my heart. I've been washed by his blood. I've been forgiven of my sins. I have a grace that has been promised to me for my entire future as long as I walk this earth. I have all those things, and yet I still find myself on those dead-end roads. I still find myself floating on that ocean going, they had to have been wrong. I can drink this stuff, right? But Jesus is saying, once you have the Holy Spirit, you never thirst again. And I'm going... Is he just lying? Is it a bill of sale? Is, it, is this just goods that he's selling us? What Jesus is saying is once the spirit moves in, you never have to. You never have to get on that road for satisfaction. You never have to reach off the side of your, your raft to get that for, for the quenching of your thirst because he is the one that will supply. It's, it's very few and far between that we surrender ourselves to trust that he is that supply. This is a complete and permanent satisfaction that he gives us. And it's one that's welling up, it's, it's jumping, it's leaping, it's, it's dancing. It's the, it's the opposite of these stagnant earthly pursuits that everyone, everyone grows tired of. Now think about this, a promise from someone who can be trusted is weightier than our feelings in the moment. If, if the person that I trust the most in life is the one who told me you can't drink that salt water, I'm going to think about it a lot longer. I'm going to take it a lot uh, more internally to say, but they wouldn't lead me astray. So Jesus' promise of if you drink of the water that I can offer and you'll never thirst again is based on him, not how vibey she feels in the moment, not how positive she thinks, you know, this, I, you're, you're right, Jesus. I've been, I've been doing this too long. I'm going to make a better me. I'm going to do this differently this time. The, the promise is on Jesus because she can't succeed at this. You and I can't succeed at this, not in, in and of ourselves. I hope in some ways, even if you can't fully relate to the experiences of this woman at the well, I hope you start to see the aspects of your own life, of your own heart in her pursuits and in her failures and in her her desperation because that truly is where we are in comparison to the glory of God. This woman's experiences would have robbed her the hope that she could ever be given such an opportunity. She would have said to Jesus, "Uh, nice offer, but those offers don't come to a girl like me. Jesus says, I'm promising eternal life. Not a promise of more days. And she might not want a lot more days going through the burdens that she's going through. But instead of quality. The scriptures, when they interpret life, they interpret it a lot of different ways. But in this particular way, this word Zoe, you've heard girls named Zoe and stuff like that. So picture that kind of spelling. It's talking about real life. It's talking about quality of life. We get hung up saying, well, he keeps saying it's eternal life, but then we all end up in the grave. But he's talking about from now to the grave and then from the grave and beyond, there's a quality of life that comes from the water that he provides and it will never dry up. It'll continue to gush up. It'll continue to, to be limitless in its supply. Imagine what that would have said to her. Everything in her life has turned out to be a matter of survival. There isn't any benefit or blessing or over the top of anything that she's receiving. It's all exchange. I give you this and I get through today. You give me this and I get through tomorrow. 
Why is this a text for Easter? Why is a Samaritan woman our, our focus when we should be talking about all that Jesus accomplished in his victory over the grave? Because Jesus' life was far more than just a positive example. He did a great thing. He, he did a kind, the kind of thing that people around the world would say, like, see, that's our example. We should be crossing racial barriers. We should be crossing cultural barriers. We should be going past the divisions of our society and, and, and helping people and everything. That's a great example that Jesus did, and no doubt he did it for that example. But he came for a deeper purpose than that. Jesus came on mission. He was born to lay his life down for sinners. And all of that life, all of that example, all of that sacrifice only counts if he does what he said he would do, which was you destroy this body. He said this temple, which really tripped people up. You destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. I'll rise again. If he did none of that, this woman dies a hopeless, wasteful life with a nice little encounter from a man who tried hard to make her feel better about her her existence. Now, Jesus is, is marching towards a resurrection that is going to make all of these things possible. And we're on the other side of this resurrection. So we see these things and we believe them to be true. But the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that rescues a woman who's just been through so much hurt and disappointment and discouragement in her life, who has caused for herself the, the situation that she finds herself in desperately separated from the glory and the beauty and the brilliance of God. All worldly religions, it's been said, can be spelled D-O. You think about every philosophy, every religion, every endeavor to better ourselves or to find nirvana or to find bliss or to find heaven, all comes with this, with this little command, do more. Only the good news of Jesus Christ, only, only the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ can be spelled D-O-N-E. We are here today. We celebrate what Jesus has done for us. What he did not only for some woman 2,000 years ago that we have a heart of sympathy for, but what he's done because our hearts, our track record, our abandonments, our, 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 our abuses, our heartaches, our, our things that we've caused even on other people, all of those things cause us to walk in shame and separation from the perfection of God. And he says, I've got a fix for that. I have a drink that if you take from, from what I'm offering you, you'll never be thirsty again. Our souls are in great need of resurrection. Think of it this way, that the encounter with the Samaritan woman marked the death of her shameful past. All that she was at the moment that she showed up at that well, all the things that led her there, all the things that got her there at that time of day, all the things that made her not look Jesus in the eye when she talked to him, all of those things, that was the death date of her entire past. Her soul needed resurrection and she received it when she drank from the living well. Yes, spoiler alert, that's where we're going with this story in the weeks to come. But the question isn't just about her. The question is for you and me. Will this be the day that you take that drink from Jesus, the only one able to offer 
a living water that can satisfy our souls. Yeah, you'll still get caught up from time to time in some of those pursuits. That's where God's grace and his mercy come in to repair us, to dust us off, to set us back on a path that is just drinking from the fountain that he's made possible for us. But will this be the day that you surrender your heart and be like Isaiah said, that with joy you'll draw water from the wells of salvation? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song about resurrection, and it's a, it's a song that's focused on, yes, the resurrected Jesus and all that he accomplished, but it is also focused on what it, what it does in us. And there's a line in the song that says, by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. This isn't a, a defeat that just talks about, well, I missed one this time. I didn't do as good on this thing that I could have done on a test or on a job uh, skill or in getting that promotion or raising those kids even or something. This isn't just those kinds of defeats. It's the separation of the, the dissatisfaction of our souls that comes from a life of not living from that water. And so by your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat, but the resurrected king is resurrecting me. The thirst of your soul, the sin that you can't shake, has defeated you for too long. So come to the well of Jesus' forgiveness today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Let's stand together and let's sing our praises to the Lord. This morning we've been given an opportunity to take a drink from a well that many of us didn't even know existed. Or maybe we've known at one point and we've walked away from it. I have two audiences in mind when I'm speaking to you this morning, and one would be those that perhaps have tasted of the goodness of the Lord. You know that his salvation was made available to you, and you responded at one point. Maybe you... Receive the forgiveness that comes for the sins and the life that you've lived and you've experienced that grace that Jesus offers. But that was a while ago or it was fleeting or something along those lines. Or, or maybe you're somebody who says, this is really my first opportunity to hear this kind of hope. And I'm like that woman at the well who was taken aback by the encounter that I'm having this morning with Jesus. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and bow your head for just a minute here. So we close out our time. I'm just going to ask you if you're in the first audience and you say, you know, I've just given up so many times and I've walked away from the spring of water that Jesus has made available to me. And, and today I want to draw from that well again. I want to recommit my life to Christ. I want to drink from that cup and find hope everlasting in him. If that's you and I can pray for you this morning, would you just please lift your hand and I can see that and be praying for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Maybe you're coming at it from a different perspective and you relate so well to this woman and you say, I've never received the gift that has been made available to me today. I do want Jesus to come in and, and, and to quench my thirsty soul. I want him to forgive me of my sins. And as the scriptures say, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If that's you this morning, the Bible tells us that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. For this woman, it was a mere conversation. 
It was an encounter with Jesus. There's no perfect words or religious phrases that you need to utter perfectly in order to receive salvation. But if you want to be led towards him, I'd be happy to pray and lead you this morning. Pray with me if that's the cry of your heart. Lord Jesus, I relate so well to this woman. And I need you to quench my thirsty soul. Forgive me of not only the wrong that I've done, but forgive me of not heeding your call earlier. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to save me and to be the Lord of my life. Lord, direct my steps, speak to my heart, Help me, Lord, to live a life of surrender and peace. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me of my sins and for cleansing me of all of the stuff that has clouded my my soul and all the things that have kept me from you. Have this life, Lord, I give it to you today in Jesus' name. If you prayed that this morning, I want you to know that all of heaven rejoices As one person, even just one, enters the kingdom of light. Not only do the angels and God himself rejoice, but all of this church rejoices with you because they have gained a brother or sister in the Lord. I would encourage you, if you've received Jesus for salvation this morning, don't let this be the end of the journey. Make yourself available to a body of believers who can help guide you along the way. Come and speak to us so that we can help you along this new life. Lord, for all of God's people that have gathered here this morning, I thank you for the time around your word. I thank you for the time around the communion table. I thank you for the opportunity to sing your glory and your praises back to you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. You had every right to walk away from us and to just scrap us all away and start over. But you loved us, so you rescued us. And because you love us, you now hear our praises. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the new life that is ours because of what your victory meant. May we continue to walk in that victory by your grace and your grace alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you all. Happy Resurrection Day.